morning. Welcome to Celebration Church of San Our campus is joining us over at Appleton and Stevens Point this morning. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you all with us this morning. Again, all those over at our campuses in Appleton, Stevens Point as well. Glad that you're with us and all the people who watch us on television and the internet. Um, at the end of the service today, we're going to be taking our normal offering. We put it off to the end because I just want to remind you that today is uh, what we're calling our Thanksgiving offering. Uh, oftentimes throughout the Bible, they had their regular offerings, but every once in a while they'd call it a thanksgiving offering, something where they would just do something special just as a way of saying thank you to God. You say, well, how much is that? I don't know. <laughs> how thankful are you? All right. How blessed of you. Have you been really blessed this year and you're good a place? Here's an opportunity to just say thank you to God and, uh, and do something special as we come into this Thanksgiving week because Thursday, of course, is Thanksgiving. We're always excited about that. Friday is the annual running of the pagans. <clears throat> And Saturday is a national holiday, my birthday. So don't, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Old geezer. Uh, um, what was I talking about? Oh, I'm done with that. Okay, so now the, uh, I want to tell you about this uh, outreach that we uh, pulled together this week, talking with Jimmy Bratcher uh, this week. And uh, they, he's got together a couple of uh, federal prisons that he's going to be going into during this Christmas season. In fact, the dates are December 14th through the 19th. So he's going to be going, doing concerts. Uh, they go from jail cell to jail cell, giving them presents, stuff, praying with these guys, just encouraging them. I mean, it's just a very, very kind thing to do, uh, helping those who don't have anything. <clears throat> but uh, we're looking for a couple of guys again who can help out with the trip. Actually, at least three. We'll take as many as seven. The more, the merrier. That equipment is heavy, and the quicker we can move around. So uh, uh, Pastor Chad at our Appleton campus is going to be leading up the team going on this trip. If you're interested and you can get away uh, December 14th to the 19th, looking for guys here, preferably with strong backs, all right? But also the cost of the flight and the hotels and everything. So this one's a little bit different. We're not staying in bus. So we're talking $1,000. So I need guys, at least three guys who say, I would love to do this. I have $1,000. We'll run it through the church so you can get credit for your taxes and stuff for it. But anyway, if you have any questions about it, will you contact Pastor Keith? Even though Keith's not coming on the trip. He's the one who has all the details, all right? So check with the church or just check with your campus pastor. Uh, if you have any questions, hey, I, I need to know more about that, uh, about that trip. So if you can take off uh, the 14th through the 19th and, uh, and you can cover the flight and hotel and stuff for this outreach, uh, it's a way of really giving back to these people who, uh, you know, Jesus said on Judgment Day, <clears throat> one of the things that he'll be, thanking people about is he's going to say, you know, when I was in prison, you came and visited me. 
And Jesus said, they're going to say, when did we do that? He said, well, whenever you did it to these, you did it to me. So the kind of thing, you want to be kind to people and opportunities that you can do. So keep that in mind. All right, now this morning, uh, a couple of months ago, we had a young man come uh, by the name of uh, Hazm, Hazm Faraj, a young Muslim man who had converted to Christianity. And he shared pieces of his testimony uh, that Sunday morning, then that Sunday night, taught about the Quran and something. It was really insightful. If you miss that, boy, you really miss that. It was a very powerful time. Uh, but anyway, I asked him to come back and says, Hazm, tell us more of your story. Tell us, how did this happen for you? How did you go from this one world into the new world? Anyway, he's here with us this morning. Would you please welcome back Hazm Faraj. Good morning, good morning. Are you all awake? I've had my coffee, I've had one church service, so I'm good to go. Uh, I'll begin by prayer and then we'll just have a conversation. How's that sound? Father, thank you for this morning, for all your goodness, Lord, for your faithfulness, for all of the grace and the mercy that you have blessed us with. God, thank you that when we were undeserving, you said we were deserving. When we were lost, you said that we are found. God, we take this not lightly, and Lord, we ask you to bless those in this room who need encouragement, God. Lord, I pray that more stories be created this morning in Jesus' name. More good stories, grace-filled stories. Amen. Amen. I was uh, born in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I would like to uh, just give you a little brief history about my life. You know, Revelations chapter 12, verse 11 says it, it, we have a window into heaven and we're looking at the martyrs, our brothers and sisters who throughout the ages have, have given their lives and really were faithful to the Lord. And Revelations 12, 11 says this, and they overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives even unto death. So this morning, the best thing that I can do for you, the best thing that you can hear is my story and how the Lord touched my life because I believe that we can relate. See, in 1997, my father decided to move our whole family to Jerusalem. Now, if you know anything about Semitic uh, Arab or Middle Eastern cultures, is that your identity is based upon what's inside of you, the, the blood flowing through your veins. It's why, it's, it's why people could be dispersed throughout the world for 2,000 years and then in 1948, Israel becomes a nation. Why? It's a Semitic culture. Now, many of you know it as a tribal culture. Uh, we, we, know, we know some of those characteristics. For me and my family, I was number nine of 13 siblings, and tribal culture it was. <laughs> we were one unit. We were one family. We had all the, all the, the, the characteristics of a Middle Eastern Muslim family, and we were Americans. But you see, here's, here is the problem for me, is most, can I just be honest this morning? Most people will never go through the checklist of seeking God. You, you, ever, you ever prayed and people were not excited for you? <laughs> you ever fasted to, to receive breakthrough and people never uh, responded in a good way? Well, that's, that's what it was like for me. Imagine, ladies and gentlemen, being in a culture that looks at Jesus and says no thank you and looks at someone completely different and says yes and amen to a man by the name of Muhammad. You see, in my, in my culture growing up, 
you may can curse God, you may can curse anything really, but you, you don't curse the prophet. In fact, I have seen situations where family members of mine were completely okay if, if uh, when others had cursed God in an angry rage or whatnot. But you curse the prophet. That's a whole other story. How many of you have heard that in the news lately? It's true. It's, it's actually on an individual level. Now, what was my life like during this time? I'll tell you what my life was like. I was five years old when my mother left nine kids. And two months later, my dad brought home another lady and he married her and said, this is your mom. And so I went from being five years old to, to, to two months later having to almost adore and worship this stranger, really. And on top of that, it was not a good situation. She did her best, but it wasn't good. And so for me, I began to, the idea of ha my father having a Islamic revival on the inside of his heart seemed good to me because I didn't expect to run into anything else. I thought I will read the scripture, read the Quran, go to the mosque, memorize my verses, and be a good Muslim. See, I began to go through my checklist. I began to go through my readings and my, my, my scriptures and my mosque. Many of you are familiar with the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem. Many a times I had prayed in that mosque. But what do you do? What do you do when your prayers seem dry? What do you do when your not only do they seem dry, they seem lonesome. 12 years old, 13 years old, 14 years old, and you're going through what I call a crisis of religion and you can't talk about it, you can't ask questions because when you do, those questions become, you know, it becomes a fight and drama. So I began to internalize this crisis. I began to, re like there were times, ladies and gentlemen, I would lay on my bed and count, do I become an atheist? because Islam isn't working and just do the motions or do I actually sign up for this fight? Do, do I want to know the truth? Am I ready for this battle? Have you ever asked, have you ever counted the cost? Am I ready for this one, God? You see, for me, I didn't feel ready and to be quite honest, for, for good reason. You see, I was taught things like a tribal Islamic culture teaches that apostasy is worthy of death and, and infidels are worthy of murder. That's the things that I was taught. Why? Because there is no such thing in Islam as, as a greater sin than disbelief. And many of us, many of you had heard it in my seminar I did last, last uh, time I was here. Um, it, there, the concept of grace does not exist within Islam. So who are you, Hazm Faraj, to question our prophet? Who, how, how dare you? Oh, it was hard. Some people ask Hazm, your story is a great one. How, how does it feel to have gone through it? You know what, I, I, this is the honest truth. I feel misunderstood. You ever felt misunderstood? I feel misunderstood because what, what, what the Lord had done in my life was such a deep work. And, and by the way, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't, hey, let's raise our hand and come down the aisle. No, it, where I come from, we don't do that. I'm a pre I, I stand on pulpits and share the gospel of Jesus almost weekly, and I would never give an altar call in Jerusalem. 
What was it like? It was very lonely. It was very hard. It was very dark. I remember, you know, it's one thing when the crisis happens on the outside of you guys. It's a whole other story when the crisis happens in here. And not only that, that crisis that, that Hazm Faraj was going through was more of a, it was an identity crisis. It was a cultural crisis and it was a crisis of religion. Are you kidding me? You see, for a Muslim to convert to Christianity doesn't happen overnight, literally. It, for me, it, took a th it was a three-year process. Three years, ladies and gentlemen. Th imagine an altar call three years old. <laughs> some people in church are like, yeah, I have some every week, three, you know. <laughs> imagine, imagine, you know, I... I so one day, this, this happy-looking very pale lady with big hair walks up to our apartment and she, she was looking for a place to, to, to rent. And my father, being a businessman and a good Middle Easterner, he said, give me your money and you're welcome. <laughs> and so now in, my, in the middle of my disaster, church, listen to me, in the middle of my crisis, in the middle of me, I, I, sometimes I don't even have the words to express. In the middle of that, these people showed up and now they're living on the second floor and, and I began to, to befriend them because it's really hard to be a jerk to people who are nice to you, right? You know, <laughs> you know people, always say, uh, people always say we have to try to change the world and do this and that and, and rightfully so, but really, if you can't, you just have to be nice. Because that's what got me into the kingdom. It wasn't a, a book, it wasn't a Bible, it wasn't a sermon, it wasn't a, a anything. It was just simple, pure, undefiled, unconditional love. And you ever met those people who get awkward when you show them love? You ever met those people when you hug them, they're like, kind of like, mm. Or, or if you give them a compliment, they're like, you know. That's how I was. Why? Because for me, I didn't want to, to change religions. I did not want for, to, to reach the bottom of my checklist and feel empty on the inside. Oh, have you, ever heard, have you ever heard crickets at the end of your prayer and then felt empty on the inside? In the meantime, my, my brother and I, we decided, you know what, we need to win these infidels to, to Islam. I didn't even much believe in Islam, but I was so desperate to try anything, something. If these guys who are happy and they're awesome decide to come to Islam, maybe, just maybe, there's something to it. But the thing about it for me is, this is why I would get upset, is because, you know, some of the things that they said to me were either just outrageous fantasies or they were true. And so I remember going upstairs and I, I said to, the, to, to Eileen, I said, Eileen, uh, I, I quoted her the, script, the, the Quran, I keep calling it scripture, I don't believe it's inspired, but it is, it is their holy book. Uh, I, I quoted her verses from the Quran. And she said, Hazm, are you done? Because I, I'd like to speak too. Will you listen to me? I said, absolutely. You've listened to all, all of what I had to say, I will listen to you. But here was the difference. The difference was I was reading from a piece of paper and from what the imam told me, whereas she started to tell me stories. Everyone say stories. 
she started to tell me stories of how Jesus raised up her brother, literally raised up her brother from his deathbed because he got hit and run, a car hit him and ran. And a man by the name of Oral Roberts lays hands on him and prays with him in the name of Jesus. And this pretty much dead boy raises up. Someone say outrageous. And they told me moments where, where, where the Lord had actually fed them when they were hungry. They said, Hazem, there was a bill I had. I don't even remember the, the number, but it was, it was outrageous. And she gets a check in the mail for that same Hazem. Jesus fed me when I was hungry. And he paid my bills when I had no money to pay them. And he healed me when I was hurting. And they had stories after stories. And what did Hazem have? Hazem had echoes of what the imams said. Now, it's, it's, I equate this part of my life, it's a, the first year and a half was the crisis, the second year and a half was what I call the, the, the wrestling with God. You ever wrestled like Jacob wrestled with the Lord? Do you know the scripture said that when Jacob wrestled with God, he was so desperate that God, the angel of the Lord, asked him, what is your name? He says, my name is Jacob. And that's when Jacob's name is changed. And for me, for, for, for a year and a half, at the end of that three-year crisis, remember, Muslims don't just convert unless they see Jesus in a dream, and I have stories of those. We can talk about them. But for me, I had not yet see, seen Jesus in a dream. I was wrestling with the truth. I was wrestling with the Lord. And pretty soon, I started to question my Islam on a, on a theological basis, and then now, I started to get really, really attracted to the thing or the one who can cause me to be killed. See, you don't just have a decision to make on the inside, at least for me. I had to make a decision then on the outside too. In fact, a year and a half, almost towards the end of it, the, the sweet Eileen, she looks at me, she goes, Hazem, put your hand, because she knew I was searching, she knew I was curious, she knew that I was hungry to know the truth, and she put her hands out, she said, Hazem, pray with me. It's a simple prayer. And everything on the inside of me wanted to look at her and put my hands in her hands and say, oh, whatever you have, I need it. But I was too chicken. I, I didn't have the courage. And I went downstairs and I told my brother, I said, look, I tried to talk to them about religion, but quite honestly, they, they killed me with it. <laughs> and what they had not known is the level of, the, the, the depth where that story that they told me about Jesus would go. See, as I'm sharing this, you're remembering your stories. You're remembering your history with the Lord. And I'm, I'm here to tell the person who's been sitting in this pew for a few months or maybe even a few years, you may not have jumped in, but I'm gonna tell you something, it doesn't make sense until you actually jump in. It doesn't make sense on the inside or the outside until you give your heart fully. There was a moment in my life where I, ha I got so desperate and I, I relate to Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord because there are moments in your life, yeah, you have, you, you have the pride and you have the, 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 all of the things that comes with being a human, right? But then you also have desperation and what happens when you get desperate, not for the things of the world, but for the things of God? 
And when in your desperation, people are getting angry at you. Oh my God, I remember listening to all weeks after weeks of, of just poison being pewed from pulpits unlike ours. And I'm supposed to embrace it. There came a point where Jacob had to really decide, you know what, I am not going to let this one go even if it means I, I have to limp myself away. Because when you wrestle with God, church, God always wins. He makes you think you won, but he actually ends up winning. You see, the missionary said to me, Hazem, you're, you're welcome to go with us to church. This was at the end of the three-year crisis. They said, Hazem, we're gonna go, and you're welcome to go. You don't have to go into the church. We, don't, we won't be offended. So I went, because I wanted dinner later. We were gonna have dinner, but... <laughs> And uh, so I began to stand outside and I saw more people coming in and the, the, here's the difference now. Now there's more happy people. <laughs> and you know, by the way, it, it, it sounds really just non-spiritual to say they were happy, but that's really the most spiritual thing you can do is to be at peace inside when the world is crumbling around you. That's when people will know that you are following the Lord. Pretty soon I'm standing out there and then the cars start rolling and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I could get really in trouble for this. So I, I thought it was safer. I have a few seconds to jump into, go run into the church so that my family or my friends don't see me standing outside the church thinking I'm considering to go in. Although, crisis. Finally, I went inside the church. I sat in the back right pew and I remember Steve there on the platform singing and streams of tears rolling down his face, and, and there were grandmamas praying in the front, and there were people lifting their hands, and suddenly these happy people were now not hearing echoes at the end of their spiritual checklist. And I remember thinking, because I'm, I'm, this, I'm the guy who, you know, I'm, uh, who wants to be right all the time? The honest one said, yeah. Okay, so for me, I'm sitting in that pew, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting agitated because not only am I having a crisis, now who, the, the story seems skewed. I'm being attracted to the infidel side of my story and now they're just happy and tears. Lord, what is going on? And so I went downstairs, I found the, the, a room that faced to, towards the east and I put down a mock cardboard and I began to pray Islamically in a church. How would you react if some Muslim came to your church and prayed? <laughs> oh, I remember that prayer. I remember it, it was hard. It was hard. I could cry thinking about it. Why, because it was my last prayer as a Muslim. And it was my prayer looking up to heaven. I was on my knees and I looked up to heaven and I said, oh God, oh God, I pray, oh God, I pray that what they said was true. I pray that Muhammad was not a false teacher or a false prophet. Oh God, I pray that the Quran is true and that you are who they said you were. And then something rose up in me and I, I began to get, right, like, you ever, you ever got angry at God? You ever get, come on, so, uh, Carmen, she's my girl, she's like, yes, honey, <laughs> baby, let's yell at him, right? But that's, that's faith, this is the walk of faith. And I remember I went up, or I looked back up and I said, oh, but how cruel of you. 
How cruel of you to leave me hanging for three years in this crisis and no one to talk to and God, where are you? And it was in that moment I thought, you know what, I've been making excuses, I've been doing the, 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 the job of God and this is, on this day, Lord, whoever you are, I'm up for grabs. I said that, I said I'm up for grabs. And I pray that you are the God of the Quran who grabs me. Because if you're not, if Jesus is the one on that throne, I'm about to find him. And I got up off of that prayer mat and I went back to the same pew and I watched. This time, for the first time that I can remember, actually celebrating the Christian's spiritual checklist. Oh, it was amazing. Oh, it was something I had never experienced before. Suddenly God, who was this ethereal myth in the heavenly somewhere now becomes in front of you, standing there, whispering to your soul that, hey, you are not alone and I love you. I don't know what they, what they said to you. I don't know who lied to you, but the truth is you are loved. Oh, that's worthy of clap. Oh my God. I remember thinking 99 names of Allah, not one of them is love. Oh, hundreds of descriptions of Allah in the Quran and what he likes and does not like. And oh, so often, for Allah loves not the sinner. For Allah loves not the transgressor. For Allah loves not, and then you feel hundreds of them. Loves not, loves not. And I went from being loved not to being so Love that he gave his only begotten son. Oh, come on, somebody. You see, we clap, and I'm thankful. Thank you for celebrating that, and I celebrate it all the time. But what do you do whenever that clapping becomes noise of, of, of clamor and conflict? What do you do when your family is looking straight at you and not happy with you? What do you do when, when the rubber has to meet the road and you have to actually not just make a decision here, but you have to make a decision here? You have to take a stand. See, I gave my heart to the Lord in that tender age. As college happened, I'll just read it to you from the book because I, I wrote it better than I can say it. The biggest issue for me was facing Islam now. I could not live that way any longer. You see, I had, the day after I, I went to that church, I went upstairs to the Christians and I said, guys, I'm tired of my three-year struggle. If Jesus is true, then I need, I need to find out the truth. They said, Hazem, we will help you, but you have to promise one thing. And I said, what's that? They said, you promise not to tell anybody. It's different from here, right? Go and tell somebody. But not, where, not in the Middle East. And I looked at those, those happy Christians who told me not to say a thing to anybody. That's a mild, by the way, that's me underplaying it. And I looked at them and I said, trust me, you have nothing to worry about. Because <laughs> I'm macho and I'm courageous. <laughs> not. Well, the rubber meets the road, the, the war escalated, we came back to America, I graduated high school. And you know when you're plotting a you're plotting a twist for, your, for a story? This was me. I, my plot was I was gonna leave home in the name of college because that was a good legitimate excuse and then as I'm away from home, that's when I'll tell them. So three hours away, I'm finally free from my 
from the, the bondage that I was in. I've been a believer for a few years now. I didn't have a Bible. I didn't have a youth group. I didn't have a church. All I knew was I had an experience and I knew the story that Jesus loves me this I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so and I'll figure all else out later. I struggled frantically to find the right words to say to my father. Come home, work with your brothers in the store and never mind school, he said. As I spoke to him now, we were a few miles apart, three hours. It didn't really matter that I argue or even state my case. It seemed futile, but I had to speak. And I said, Yaba, I cannot come home. His voice grew louder and angrier. He began to curse. I continued, I can't come home because it's time for me to be my own man. I'm different and I don't live the way you live any longer. See, for me, the biggest issue facing me was Islam. I could not live that way. I simply wanted the freedom to live for Christ. I could not openly say to my father that I wanted to live as a Christian. I didn't want to hurt him even more. By now, my father was livid. This was the first time I chose to have a say in my own life to my father. In that tiny college dorm room, I sat alone, my ears ringing, my heart beating loudly. I wanted time to think about all that was happening, but there was no time. To get to where I was from my father, he would need three hours by car. Of all the steps I had taken in my life, up to this point, this one seemed to be the hardest. It was one I knew I would eventually have to take and I procrastinated for a few years. It was my personal Gethsemane moment when I had to make that final decision to follow God no matter what the cost. You see, you say, Hazem, stop being so dramatic. What's the big deal? Here's, here's the big deal. What if on some dark night someone decided to carry the Quran's dreaded command against ex-Muslims? If they forsake you, Muhammad said, pursue them and kill them where you find them. For an ex-Muslim, Jesus' words, there will come a day when those who will kill you will think they are doing God a service. Those words of Jesus are tangible and they are real to me. They are the mirror reflection of the Quran's oftenly repeated admonitions of how to deal with infidels and more importantly, apostates. The Quran's words were like an executioner with his sword ready to strike at any moment. For many, that sword unfortunately has already struck. For others, the sword is on its final arc. See, when you're an ex-Muslim, those words, they will try to kill you thinking they are doing God a service. They quickly jump off the pages of the Gospel of John with a familiarity, an eerie familiarity. See, I had heard those words before, exactly almost, but from the other side of the sword. At first, Jesus' warning feels like a cold winter chill that makes you shiver, but when we embrace his words, that's when they become a powerful gale that fills our sails, propelling us into all the world. See, the Christian, for, uh, I'd just like to make this one point. The Christian walk is not 
It, it is beautiful. It is for sure beautiful. It is beauty amongst ashes. But sometimes the walk of the Christian is ugly. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it's nasty. Sometimes it's dirty. Sometimes it's all of these things. And I want you to know that it's okay. Because that's called the wrestling with the, with the Lord. That's called the wrestling with truth. How do you do this? I'll tell you how. You do it the way they did it in Revelations 12. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimonies. And they loved not their lives even unto death. I'll tell you what that means. That means you get covered by the blood and you continue to tell the story. And the part that says that they loved not their lives unto death, that doesn't mean they had a martyr's complex. It means they simply loved Jesus a whole lot more than they loved living. Why? Because for me, to die is gain. When Jesus, I'll show that picture if you will, when Jesus um, was on the road to Emmaus, he looks at the two dudes who didn't know and, or recognize who he was and they're, they're mourning, you can leave the one of the tent up, they're mourning Jesus, they don't know that they're actually talking to him. And Jesus looks at them and says, why are you all weeping, why, what's, what's wrong? And they said, you're probably the only one who hasn't heard, Jesus of Nazareth, we can't find him. And Jesus goes through them through the scriptures, right? And he says this to them, I loved what Jesus said because this is where we are at as a church. You mark my words, you mark my words. In the next couple, I promise you, there is a transition that is happening in the Islamic world. A man, by, a, a man of God came up to me about a year and a half ago or, or so ago, and he said, hey, Hazem, the Lord showed me something. I said, what's that? He said, the Lord said, ISIS is gonna start leading people to Jesus. And I thought, that's the most hyper-spiritual thing I have ever heard. Thank you and praise the Lord. <laughs> Until about a year later, a pastor in Iraq says to me, Hazem, I don't know what happened. But as soon as ISIS showed up, we started filling our churches and having revival. Why? Because persecution, amen. Persecution is a part of our walk. Now it may look different, it may look different for us in the Middle East and you right here in America. But here's what it will look like in the end. It's that tent where if you're living in a beautiful home or in a tent in a refugee camp, here's what you do say. You say, through hell and high water, I can go through whatever comes my way because he is with me. And that is a feeling that Islam cannot offer. That is only reserved for the followers of Jesus. That, that, that temp, I mean, that, the tent right there is Christians who had fled all, all throughout refugee camp to refugee camp to refugee camp, and then on this moment, they decide, you know what, we're done, we are done running, because if they come, they're just gonna have to take our lives. You say, oh, Hazem, that's depressing. No, that's not depressing. You know what that is? That's called gospel substance. Go to the next photo, please, and pastor, you may come up. This is the, this is the picture of the church in Mount Sinjar. Mount Sinjar, ground zero of ISIS. Here's what Revelations 12, 11 looks like. I'm not, I am not saying you, you, have to do, you, you have to go through all of the craziness of persecution. Where I, oh God, I hope and I pray you don't. In fact, I enjoy the freedom here in America. I'm thankful for, the, for my religious liberties. But in the event, yes, amen. Yeah, you, oh yes. Whew. 
but in the event that that's stripped from you, you know what's gonna happen? They can come and destroy your church, they can come and destroy your life, they can burn your Bibles, they can do, and they meaning the terrorists, not the Muslims, FYI. They can do all these things, but you have Revelations 12, 11, audacity and faith, and you say, you know what? And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, and I'm gonna take this cross and put it on the rubble of my life, and I, with the testimony of the Lord, we can survive, we can overcome the enemy through our testimony and through the blood, amen? Amen, God bless you. Man, if you would like to uh, read uh, Hazm's story, if you didn't get his book the last time he was here, he has them at the various campuses, you can uh, see his personal story. Uh, there is a project that he is involved in now uh, that he's taken on himself. He doesn't have any backers, any big organizations behind him. It's just pretty much him. <laughs> and, uh, and we want to uh, help him. We've talked about it at our presbytery meeting. What we want to do is help him with this book that he's doing, this next book. Uh, what he did is he's interviewed uh, 10 people in the Middle East who were Muslims and had converted to, to Christianity. And they share their stories, and they're powerful stories, and many of them had visions and dreams of Jesus, and that's how they converted. And, and I've already been reading these stories. It's very powerful to read. And uh, I said to our guys, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's see if we can help him get this book out there. Uh, not only is it a personal testimony uh, to encourage Christians about what God is doing, but that other Muslims can pick this thing and, and, and read this thing. You know, we don't want it to come across real churchy and stuff, but where they can start hearing these stories, because there's something powerful, as he said. They overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Uh, it's always our strongest story, okay? I always encourage people, don't argue with your friends and family. You know, holidays are coming. <laughs> don't get in big debates with them. The most powerful story you have is a changed life. Let them see what God has done in you and to tell your story. That nobody has an argument for. So anyway... Uh, what we decided is every year during the Advent Conspiracy, we have projects and stuff like that. This year, our Advent Conspiracy, which will start uh, next Sunday, which is the beginning of Advent through Christmas, is uh, we're going to try and raise money for several projects. But one of the main projects is we want to help fund this project so that this book can get published and we can get it out to the world and share these stories. All right? <laughs> so we're looking forward to being a part of that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth. Thank you for... Hazem, and, and the courage that he's had to stand up for you. and Thank you for uh, uh, his story this morning. Just bless him. Keep using him for your glory. And help us, Lord God, as we uh, branch out on this project to be able to get this book out there, Lord, so that many, many other people can hear the stories of these people who uh, our lives are being dramatically transformed by the powerful, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys.